tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. are again oh. exasperated and we haven't even began exasperated i'm looking out at snow what's that that cheerful christmas song about uh, in the bleak midwinter and <laughs> snow on snow on snow <laughs> i don't think it was like that in the holy land but it's like that where i am but you know that cold weather builds character and boy we got a lot of characters where i live let's pray in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. Do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, may, may, may God rebuke him. May the Prince of the Heavenly Host defend us from every snare of the devil. By the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all his and all his uh, sea snow has got evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Lord, you know what I mean. It's just been that kind of day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, St. Michael, please help us. All right, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. Was that assistance that I got from you uh, live, dear voice in my head? No, this is live, though. Oh, but that was... uh, oh this is live. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the voice in my head assisted me. You know, it's uh, sometimes old men need a crutch. So, oh, dear. All right, let's go to... Oh, this is this is problematic. This is very problematic. Um, The first readings. Well, this is the conversion of St. Paul. And I got a lot of theories about St. Paul uh, that... Um, uh, I'm not so sure I'm right, but I'll I'll share them anyway. Um, uh, the the uh, there that's the, the salt shaker. Thank you. Um, the the uh, I don't think Saint Paul was just an incidental participant in the martyrdom of Saint Stephen. You know, they put their coats at the foot of Saint Paul. In other words, they knew him and trusted him. I mean, clothing was a very valuable thing. However, you don't put something very valuable. Hey, take out that kid there. He'll watch our stuff. You know, you don't say to someone, can you hold my camera? Chances are they're going to run away with it. So I think that that's a very important idea that, that Paul, I think, was delegated to organize the, the mob that stoned, Steve, uh, that stoned Stephen. Paul wasn't just... Um, uh, Paul wasn't just incidental to this. Paul was 
kind of the I suspect he was a person up and coming in in the in the hierarchy uh, or the the bureaucracy perhaps better put of the temple and he was important uh so we see him delegated to go and mop up the mess in Damascus. Roman law was such that if you were a Jew living in Greece, you were governed by Jewish law. If you were a Greek living in Spain, you were governed by Greek law, etc. You were governed by the law of the place in the empire whence you came. And so the Jews living in, uh, in Damascus would have been governed by Jewish law, even though they were living in Syria. Uh, so Paul went up with authority, with temple authority, and with legal Roman authority. And again, another harebrained theory that isn't just mine. I think it's 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 also thought of by some real scholars. I think Dr. Pitry, uh, who is a real scholar and a very smart cookie, I think Dr. Pitry, Dr. Brant Pitry, uh, talks about this. The book of Luke and the Goss and the book of Acts are both addressed to um, a fellow named Theophilus. And he is given a title, Your Excellency Theophilus, Kratiste. It really means most excellent uh, or, or, or strongest, uh, um, uh, most rulerish. <laughs> a krator is someone who rules. Uh, so he is way up there. There was a Your Excellency Theophilus. He was... The high priest, uh, the last of the sons of Annas. Annas put all of his sons on the high priestly throne and thus running the Sanhedrin. And his son, Caiaphas, because the Romans wouldn't allow one person to be in that position for very long. It was too powerful. Well, Annas had, had figured out a way that he could retain power. And so there were many high priests alive at the time of Christ. So that's kind of the background of this. Well, if that's true, Theophilus may have been, this is again, this is, I'm skating on real thin ice here, theoretically. But I wonder if Theophilus was not, no, there's salt. Don't know, that'll melt the ice. Uh, that, that um, I don't know if Theophilus would have been the, because we don't know the exact dates. We, we speculate about the dates. Um, but Theophilus, I suspect, was, the high priest who lodged the suit against St. Paul. He's the one who brought charges against Paul. That's my suspicion, because Paul went up to to clean up the mess, or Saul, rather, went up to clean up the mess in, in Damascus, and guess what? He comes back part of the mess. He comes back as a, as a believer in Jesus. Theophilus must have been going crazy if he was the guy who had delegated, whichever high priest had delegated Paul to go up and take care of this mess. So it may well be that Theophilus was the person of authority lodging the charges against St. Paul. And the Roman system of judgment was when a suit was lodged, the suit had to go forward after a certain date. There's a kind of exact date that the, that you have to say, oh, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to pursue the suit. And then the charges could be dropped. But there, there was a certain date. I don't know how long it was before the trial, but it was substantial. If you passed that date, the trial had to go on no matter if you wanted it to go on or not. And I wonder if Luke and Acts weren't written, at least in their most original form, perhaps they were added to, I don't know. But in their most original form, they seem to be a defense of the ministry of Paul and Jesus. And 
the Pharisees don't come out that well, especially in Acts. And that would have been that would have been something that the Sadducees would have liked. Also, there's all these mentions of names of people who who were involved with the life of the temple, like uh, 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 Zechariah. Uh, in the song of Zechariah and 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 uh, uh, all of these people in the temple that are, are mentioned by name. These would have been known to Theophilus. Um, so it's just my theory. And, and uh, of course, it failed. That's also why you see uh, a certain haste in the Acts of the Apostles. There comes a point where the, the, the editing of it collapses. Because it says, they this, they this, they this, we this, we this, we this. It's as if they are just taking leaves from a, a diary and, and, and quoting them literally or even pasting them into, the, into the, the, the letter they wanted to send to good old Theophilus. This is only my theory, but I think it's, I think it's a possibility. So this is Paul. And, you know, sometimes I got some letters the other day despairing of the conversion of of. of of, of the, the children, you don't know. Uh, people's lives turn on a dime and history turns on a dime. I, I said the other day that Paul was, was the uh, first person of whom it can be said Greco-Roman Judeo-Christian. We have a civilization that is called Greco-Roman Judeo-Christian. There are four legs of our situation, of our society, the, the philosophy and, and <clears throat> the aesthetics of the Greeks, the sense of law and... <laughs> Actually, the the building, the the architectural uh, uh, drive of the Romans, the the Old Testament and the divine law of um, of the Jews, and then the Bride of Christ, the Church, as she has been known throughout history. She is, in essence, by by gathering together those three traditions of the Greeks, the Romans, and the Jews, she created our civilization. And I, I just, I am alarmed. I am so alarmed at the people within the church and outside the church who so want to tear down the bride of Christ. And doing so, they are tearing down our civilization. We think things are wrong. This, uh, this, the theft is wrong. That slavery is wrong. All of these things are wrong. Uh, we have this this moral code that is is that creates safety, especially for for families, and we are dismembering that moral code, and we somehow think we will have a sense of right and wrong left. We will not. You know, it was Christians that did away with slavery. It's Christians that created hospitals. It's Christians that strengthened the relationship between man and woman. Women. It's Christians that fed the poor. And if we take away Christianity, the poor will starve. I believe slavery will return. I really do think slavery is going to make a big comeback. And I think it'll be African slavery. And I think we'll be guilty because we like to wear cheap products. The Chinese like to make them. And the Chinese are busy buying up every square inch of Africa. And I'm sure they'd be delighted to give all sorts of work to Africans. Um, but that that will come with a price here. I, I really believe that we will see that perhaps not in my lifetime, but we will see a return to African slavery. The, the, uh, the, the suicidal, uh, 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 abortion policies and birth control policies of China 
have created a situation in which there are no workers. I, I've, I've known people who, who uh, had slaves in their family, not African, but Filipino. A young Filipina gets a wonderful work offer from from Saudi Arabia or someplace like that, and they, they go and then they, they make a little money, send it home, and then um, they they want to go back home, and, and the government says, oh, we have to get your exit visa in order. And, well, where's my passport? We're holding your passport. They can't leave. They can leave only with the permission of the person who has hired them, who in effect owns them. And I can see that happening, you know, as China starves for a workforce, they, where are they going to get it from? So I really am terrified that African slavery will make a return in the lives of people who are living now. I, I, I pray that I'm just being an alarmist and that I'm, I'm full of uh, nonsense, but... Uh, you know, this can't happen. You you derail Christian society, Greco-Roman Judeo-Christian society, which believes in human rights, the value of the person, all of those sorts of things. St. Paul was the first person who could rightly call himself Greek and Roman. He was a Roman citizen raised in a Greek town. He knew the Greek classics. He quotes them uh, in, in the scriptures. He was a Jew. He was Judean. He followed the religion of the Jews. He was a temple apparatchik, apparently. But above all, he was a Christian. St. Paul, in his very person, created Greco-Roman Judeo-Christian society. And I hear theologians tearing apart the strictures of, of the letters of St. Paul. And when they do that, there will be nothing between us and, and, and the devil's open mouth. I really do believe that that unless we, we cherish the civilization created by St. Paul, created by Christ through St. Paul, um, the world has a very sorry future. That, ah, but call me an optimist. All right, let's go to the gospel. Hmm. I, I really believe this stuff. Maybe I'm nuts. I pray that I'm nuts uh, because uh, there's a problem there. All right, let's see here. <sighs> Oh, Ananias! Lots of Ananiases in the uh, in the scriptures. Ananias was the name of the the father-in-law of Caiaphas. It's also the name of this fellow. Paul goes. It's fascinating to me. Ananias. Uh, Ananias has a vision of Jesus. It doesn't seem to startle him. But when the Lord says, "I want you to go uh, to talk to Paul," he's that startles him. He's going to kill me. So uh, you know, I, I think that's a fun de detail. Well, let's look at Mark sixteen, the fifteenth chapter. Jesus appeared to the eleven. This is one of the places where the twelve are called the eleven because Judas isn't there. But it's fascinating that in certain places they're still called the twelve even when Judas isn't present because that was a, 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 an institution established by Jesus, that, that identifiable group of people. So go into the whole world, proclaim the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. So in other words, if you're not in my club, you're not going to heaven. Let's look at this. Whoever, remember what I always tell you, believe means it means trust. Whoever trusts and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not trust will be condemned. <laughs> These signs will accompany those who trust. They will drive out demons, speak new languages, pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly thing, no, it will not harm them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. These are manifestations of the Holy Spirit for the mission. There are whole groups who think in order to fulfill this, 
uh, uh, you have to uh, uh, dance about with poisonous snakes. We regularly hear of people in, in these snake handling churches. These really exist. Look it up, snake handlers. In the snake handling churches, uh, there are regularly people who die of poison and uh, and snake bites. So uh, it's a really interesting thing. You can look it up on your own, the snake handlers. Uh, but, you know, that. well, the Pentecostals, like me, all say, oh, you got to speak in tongues. No, you don't. It's a great gift. It's a gift of prayer and intercession, but it's useful not as a sign uh, um, uh, of of your goodness. It, the sign is a sign of the power of God. Uh, that that what is a sign? A sign has meaning. You see a stop sign. It says stop. You know, uh, looking for a sign. Well, pay attention to the signs that are there. They say stop, yield, <laughs> caution. You know, a sign is, is something that has meaning. And so these things, the driving out of demons, the speaking in tongues, the, the immunity to, to danger of serpents and poison, and the healing of the sick, these are messages from God. They aren't just signs that, well, I'm holy and I'm saved and I got the Holy Spirit and I'm going to heaven. No, they're signs of the goodness and the generosity of God to sinners like me. So... Uh, that said, God will God will provide for you what you need in the ministry to which God has called you, and everyone is called to a ministry, um, be it be it the the sublime ministry of being mother and father, or the ministries uh, of service in the church. Um, God will give you what you need. You don't do these things to prove that you're saved, or prove that you're holy, or prove that God is real. No. You hear what God is saying in these things. God, um, I love that that song from the color purple, or that um, I don't recommend it. It's a, it's a not a movie for younger or more sensitive viewers, but there's a wonderful song. Sinner, can't you tell God is trying to tell you something? And that's what these things are about: glossolalia and exorcisms and immunity to poisons and the healing of the sick. God is trying to tell you something. He's not trying to prove that you're holy. He's trying to tell you something, that he's holy. All right, that's it. Let us go to uh, a break, and we will come back with letters, and we'll open the phones at Catholic Order of Foresters, the sponsor of our studio line, is hiring today. Several positions available throughout the U.S. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester to learn more about how you can find your vocation with COF, an Illinois life insurance society not licensed in all states. Oh, there's a man in my soul that me free from sin. Yes, my whole life has changed This fits in very nicely, this song, Talk About Jesus. I got a lovely letter from Mary in Los Angeles. And I was talking, somebody was mourning about their relatives having left the Catholic Church and not coming back to the church. And I talked about, it's a little complicated, I talked about uh, preaching the kingdom. 
and building the church. So often we end up preaching the church and trying to build the kingdom. When I hear someone talk about kingdom building, I think that that somebody wants a corner office at the chancery, about third or fourth floor. Um, You can't build the kingdom. Jesus said, little children, it has pleased your heavenly father to give you a kingdom. No, thanks, Lord. We're building one. We'll get back when we're done. We'll get back to you. No, the kingdom is God's very nature, God's royal nature. The kingdom is the cross. It's given to us. It's grace. That's my theory. But, uh, well, how do we get them? How do we get them? Uh, oh, that's the, that's, I didn't do that. That's the letter, but I'm just so anxious to get into this. Thank you. Uh, the, uh, so back to letters. I agree with you, uh, she said. So many of my family and friends are estranged from the church, and I've come to the conclusion and pray that our Lord draw them to his sacred heart. I, too, think if they knew Jesus, they would put up with the human failings of the church militant. No one mentions or rarely mentions the other two-thirds of the church, triumphant and suffering. Yeah, that, that's true. You know, we look at you look at people like me, you know, uh, clergy persons who are of limited intelligence and... Uh, and uh, great weakness and sinfulness, and you think, this is the church? I'm not the church. I'm not the church. The church is the bride of Christ. I have the privilege to be joined to her, sinner that I am. And, you know, that that if, if we look to have our faith vindicated by people like me, you're going to be really, really disappointed. Uh, you know, uh, whenever people say, oh, you know, there's this wonderful priest, I think, yeah, he may be a wonderful man. But he's also a sinner saved by grace, you know. And then <laughs> I, I just think that 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 if we if we if we preach Christ and Him crucified, well, let me get back to the letter. Um, I believe that if they will give Jesus a chance, He will take it from there. So, Mary, I, I think you put it far better than I could. Um, so, uh, let's move along here. You know, bring them to Christ. You know, talk about Christ. Don't talk about the church. If Christ will tell them about the church. You know, he loves her. Um, that that the church is his bride. Oh, and I, I just wanted to mention, I, somebody asked me a question that I think I was obscure. <laughs> me, obscure. But yesterday's reading was about the sin against the spirit. All right. Uh, um, that that uh, so many people worry about. I want to revisit that because so many people worry about it. Um, wait a minute. Where would it go? Was it yesterday's reading about the sin against the spirit? I I think so. Hmm. All right. Well, I. Okay. 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 I'll get it. Yeah, it was against the sin against the spirit. Uh, that that uh, the the um, the sin against the spirit in the context. Some Pharisees had come up to talk about, uh, no, it was on, it was on, not yesterday, it was on January the 23rd, on Monday. Uh, The scribes who come from Jerusalem said he's possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he drives out demons. Well, what was going on there was the belief uh, that if you found the name of a bigger demon than the one infesting your patient, that the, the littler demon would get scared and leave. It was nuts. Don't try this at home. It's idiotic. So he's saying it's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. He's possessed by a greater demon than these little demons possessing the people he's delivering. And it was, of course, expected that rabbis would 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 cast out demons. Modern Ashkenazi rabbis don't, but Sephardi, uh, Sephardi rabbis still do. So um, 
Jesus says, how can Satan drive out Satan? <clears throat> he talks about the strong man. And I think I, now I, I have a different angle on the strong, man, but I don't want to talk about that right now. I want to say, I say to you, all sins and blasphemies, the people are will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never have forgiveness. He is guilty of an everlasting sin. And this contradicts our idea that that God can and will forgive any sin. They said he has an unclean spirit. In other words, they were saying, we're from God, and if he was from God, he'd look like us and agree with us. Therefore, uh, um, he's not from God. The refusal to recognize the Holy Spirit is... The refusal to ask the Holy Spirit to move in you is the unforgivable sin because the Holy Spirit, I was I was always told, was a gentleman. He will not enter in without your permission and cooperation. Now, what does that mean practically? There are two dimensions of the sin against the Spirit. One is despair. I'm ask God for forgiveness in your situation. No, I'm going to hell. I really knew a girl who believed that she had sold herself to the devil and uh, she was going to hell and there was no, no hope for it. Just ask God, you know, talk to the Lord. She said, no, it won't help. It won't help. I'm, I'm damned. Um, she really believed that. Uh, I don't know if she, she's would now be an old woman, <laughs> but I haven't seen her in 50, 60 years. But, um, uh, she, she, believed her sin was too big for God to to forgive that's that's a kind of arrogance that that masquerades as humility and that's that's this that despair is the sin against the spirit the minute you step out from that condition then God can work with you if you confess your sin and I don't mean simply go to the sacrament of reconciliation which is very important but if you admit that I'm sinning that this is a sin and I can, I can ask God's forgiveness and I can do my best to stop committing it. Uh, God is ready with forgiveness. The flip side of the coin, which is much more common, and this is, I think, what confuses people, is the, the sin of presumption. And that's saying, I don't need God's forgiveness. God needs my forgiveness. That's the age we are living in. I can't believe in a God who would force me to have a baby after I'd been raped. I, these are these are dangerous things I'm talking about, and and people become hateful about these. Is it the fault of that child, the the horrible sin committed by that child's father? Uh, I can't believe in a God who wouldn't allow me to to uh, to relieve my loved one's pain with assisted suicide. God is the Lord of of life. He gives it. And only he has the right to take it. And so on. All of these sins. God made me this way. No, God didn't make you that way. Um, we live in an age of presumption in which we don't have to listen to God. He has to listen to us. And to refuse to hear God speaking is a sin against the spirit. It's a presumption. And it is a sin committed regularly by us religious people especially us who pretend to be theologians, um, that, that to disregard the clear speaking of, of God in the scriptures and in the 2,000-year history of the church and the 2,000-year history of the people of God before 
Christ. That's 4,000 years of human history that have spoken with a unanimous voice, the lives of the saints, the writings of the saints, the consistent teaching of the fathers of the church, the consistent witness of Scripture, both Old and New Testament. Yeah, but yeah, the times are modern. We've got to change. What presumption that is a sin against the Spirit, and it is a sin very popular among among people who consider themselves Christians. Um, uh, to say a sin is not a sin, that is a terrible presumption. And that, you know, sin is not a problem for us Catholics. We have confessionals. The problem is when I refuse to admit that a sin is a sin. Uh, when I was a kid, you know, you go to confession in the 60s or the 70s, and they say, oh, that's not a sin. Don't worry about it. It was a sin. I, I think of St. Augustine grieving years later about stealing a pear. Stealing a pear, big deal. For Augustine, it was a big deal. It was the tip of the iceberg. And uh, he grieved about stealing a pear years and years later. And a confessor of the ilk of which I have been speaking would say, oh, Augustine, get over it. That's not a sin. And we would have lost one of the great theologians of, of, of the history of the faith. So presumption and despair. And we live in an age that is presumptuous. Well, let me go on to another letter. I just, I hope that explains what I was saying a little more thoroughly. All right. This is a kind of a complicated one, uh, but I am on it. This is a, 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 a non-Catholic member of the Assemblies of God um, who listens to Relevant Radio. And I'm honored that you listen, John. Uh, but um, uh you said you have well said that in the past best has no ontological status um, that means no actual existence the past does have some reality nor does the future only now exists i was reflecting on the prophecy where jesus was hung between two thieves and the soldiers played dice for his garments i'm not a calvinist but i do believe that god and his sovereignty will bring about future events Yet I have to wonder if God predestined this trite act of soldiers playing dice for Jesus' garments. This leads me to believe that maybe the future does exist and God has some sort of knowledge. You know, uh, perhaps you've heard me say that for God, all moments are now, all places are here. I have to think in terms of past and future. God does not. And I was listening to a, a wonderful presentation on, on from a, uh, an organization called Reasons to Believe and... Uh, talking about the amazing, amazingly precise timing of the 14 billion years of creation. I thought it was seven days. Well, this guy is a scientist who uh, didn't believe in God. But looking at the universe made him think, yeah, that this God stuff is real, especially the Christian stuff. So, but he talks about the 14 billion years that precisely and perfectly timed to create us and to give us the opportunity to see the glory of the wonders of God in creation. So, He's talking about why did God take so much time? God didn't take any time to create the universe. For God, all moments are now. All things are created, at least from I think from God's perspective, simultaneously and instantly. And and uh, um, you know the future. Just because you know the future doesn't mean that you cause it. Um, that that we do have freedom, but. The future is simply a rearrangement of the present. It's a moving about of the furniture, I suspect. Now is the moment that exists. Now is the moment to which we have access. Now is the eternal now for God. It is this this limited now. It's as if it's as if God is in a helicopter looking down on the road and he can see the journey of the car and where it's going. 
I'm in the car and I have blinders on. I can only see a little bit that's right in front of me. Um, so this idea of the future not existing, for God, it does exist. For me, it doesn't. There's no future. Now is the moment, In C.S. Lewis talks about this, in which the, um, the eternal meets the present. And if I live in this moment now, that's where I encounter God. I'm not going to encounter God in the future. If someday I encounter God, it'll be the present moment. You know, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. If today you hear the voice of the Lord, uh, do not harden your hearts. Uh, that, that people want to know how long you're going to live. I can tell you how long you're going to live. One day. If you wake up tomorrow, guess what? It's going to be today. This is the day the Lord has made. And that's the idea. We have to live in this moment. That's what Jesus taught us. So uh, the past has some reality. It's fixed. It cannot change. The future, uh, it is real only in, in the vision of the Almighty. But as far as I'm concerned, now is all that's given. I, I hope that explains a little more precisely. And John, I'm very honored that you'll listen. And I hope you keep us all in your prayers in these difficult times. Let's see. What time is it? We have plenty of lines open, plenty of lines. Do not wait till the last minute. 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. I am going to, uh, let's, I have a very complicated word of the day. Very complicated. You expect nothing less. So let's go to a bit of a break. 888-914-914, and we'll come back with the word of the day. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about The Catholic University for Independent Thinkers at RelevantRadio.com forward slash UDallas. Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Oh, good news, good news, the chariot's coming, good news, good news, the chariot's coming, so glad, so glad. I do not want it to leave me behind. All right, let us go to our word of the day. The word of the day is a passage in Scripture that seems clearly to contradict another passage in Scripture. If you go to the USCCB site, and go to the daily readings for the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul, you will see that the first reading comes from Acts 22. And then there's an alternate first reading, which comes from uh, Acts uh, 9. And they seem to say different things. Acts 22 says that uh, his Paul is struck down. It's interesting. Paul knocked off his horse. The Bible doesn't mention a horse, but I saw it in the holy picture, so it must be true. Okay, fine. Well, uh, <clears throat> Saul, I fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I'm Jesus the Nazarene whom you are persecuting. My companions saw the light, but did not hear the voice of the one speaking to me. That's Acts 22. And then we go to the next one in Acts 9. And it says, uh, um, uh, um, 
quite the opposite. It says, uh, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, for they heard the voice, but could see no one. Wait, 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 wait. In Acts 9, it says they heard the voice, but saw no one. In Acts 22, it says they they didn't hear the voice, uh, um, but they, they they didn't hear the voice, but, but they... Um, uh, uh, saw the light. These are both written by the same person. Do you think he was dumb enough to contradict himself? I don't think so. In Acts 9, we read that uh, the ones who are traveling with me stood speechless, hearing uh, hearing no one. Uh, uh, hold on, hold on. Uh, it means, hold on, let me, let me pull this up. The men traveling saw stood speech, they heard the sound but did not see anyone. That's one translation. However, it, 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 it's better put, uh, they, they um, heard uh, no one, they, they saw no one, uh, but they, they were hearing the sound. The word funny can mean a sound or a voice. They saw no one, seeing no one, but hearing, uh, uh, hearing, uh, and, and it's it's a genitive, which is what we call a partitive genitive. They heard of the sound. So, in other words, they heard some noise. In other words, if you speak French, which I don't, but I try, if you go to France and say, I would like cheese, that means you want all the cheese in France, which would be prohibitively expensive. No, no, no. The way you're supposed to say it is, je voudrais du fromage. I would like of cheese. In other words, I'd like some cheese. They, they, uh, they heard some sound. They heard some voice, but they didn't see anyone. Okay, they didn't see a person. Then you go to Acts 22, and it says, they... Uh, they, they, um, uh, the, well, let me see. They, they saw a light. Didn't see a person, but they saw a light, and they heard the sound uh, of, of, of. Well, they, they well, let me see. They, they saw the light, uh, but they did not hear the sound of anyone, uh, the voice of one speaking. In other words, they heard something. They saw something. They didn't see a person. They saw a light. They didn't hear a voice, but they heard a sound. That's, I think, the context of what these things mean. They're not contradictory. So, I, But it's very interesting uh, because I'm sure people look at that and say, well, it's clearly the Bible contradicts itself. This is the same author of the same book, apparently. Uh, and and um, uh, unless it's, it's a, a gloss from later, uh, a scribe who didn't get it, but... You know, I, I think that that's the way I read it. Phew. Okay. They they heard a sound. They heard some noise. They saw some light. They didn't see anyone. They didn't hear a voice. That's how I look at it. All right. Let's go to uh, phone calls. Hello. David, hello. What can I do for you from San Diego? Yes. Hi. Uh, thank you very much for taking my call. Um, we... Uh, my- we're in closing escrow to buy a house and yes, the yes. seller um, has what I think it's called a mezuzah. A mezuzah, um, yes. Basically it's that. Yeah. And 
um, you know, it's on the door uh, or door jam. And, you know, we, we uh, you know, we, 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 we made it known to them saying, hey, in case you want this, you know, because it could be a family heirloom. But if they chose to just sort of leave it or whatever, yeah. I, um, you know, as a Catholic, you know, I feel very connected with our Jewish mm-hmm. uh, yeah. roots. And so yeah. I think it would be kind of kind of cool to have that there. I, I just want to get your thoughts on that. Is it, you know, I mean, is that a, a um, good thing to have? Or is there, I mean, you know, just I, I, I'm not really 100% familiar well, with the tradition of having I, that there but just wanted to I get hope, your take. i hope it's it's not a bad thing because i've got one on my door <laughs> somebody gave me a, okay. <laughs> a, a a jew was considering christianity gave me a mezuzah, beautiful artsy mezuzah from from the holy land what is inside it is a uh a, a, a small handwritten parchment that actually the mezuzah is not expensive it's the parchment inside that's expensive um Oh. That that I, I I doubt that they would leave it because it really the the parchment inside it's handwritten by a scribe, and it is uh, the Shema Hero Israel. Uh, it, it has um, Deuteronomy six four to nine and then chapter eleven thirteen to twenty one written inscribed on it, and the word literally means a doorpost a mezuzah. Uh, the, that's what the word okay. means, and 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 that's the, it's a beautiful thing to call it because it's it's. Uh, um, uh, um, it's what's holding up the house. You think you think that the the door is held up by the by the the door jams? No, it's held up by by God's word. So the the okay. um, uh, it's kind of uh, um, you know it's 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 literally means it's the the shifty thing. In other words, the moving thing because mm. the door jam mm. allows the door to open and close. So that's a mezuzah. It's it's the 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 door mm. opener. And I, no, I, I, there's nothing wrong with it. Nothing at all. Uh, it's it's okay. not. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we, we, uh, yeah. Go yeah. on. Kind, kind of hoping that they let us ha- uh, keep it, but you know we'll see. <laughs> so. Yeah, I would be amazed right, if they well, let it stay. I mean, a mezuzah is a very precious mm. thing. You 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 touch yeah. it and then kiss your hand as you go in. It's kind of I always think of it as uh, Jewish uh, <laughs> Jewish uh, holy water fountain. So I hope that helps a little. <laughs> I don't think there's anything Thank wrong you. with it. It's Thank a beautiful you. custom. Jesus probably uh, kissed the mezuzah. All right, let us go now to Betty from from Longwood in Florida, where it's warm. <laughs> Hello, Father. Um, my question is, I'm not that, bitter. I'm not um, bitter. Go on, go on, go on, Betty. <laughs> <laughs> um, Joseph survivor, Mathia. Yes. I, I just recently heard that there might be a tradition that he was a tin merchant and, uh, traded in, in tin all the way to Ireland and that he may have taken the, the Holy Grail there. Uh, and I was wondering if you could shed any light on that and whether or not there's any basis to that, uh, tradition. Well, uh, the, the the Joseph of Arimathea, um, we we hear we hear him mentioned um, um, by early Christians. Uh, they they added details, um, the acts of Pilate. Sort of for some reason, Joseph of Arimathea, uh, the legend just kept developing 
stories. Uh, Hilary of Poitiers in the 300s added to the legend. St. John Chrysostom was the first to write that Joseph was one of the 70 apostles appointed in Luke 10. You know, there were lots of apostles. But during the late 12th century, in the late 1100s, uh, there was something called the Arthurian Cycles, which talked about somebody who probably was an historical character um, in the in the collapsing Roman state of England. Rome was England was Roman for you know about four or five centuries. Let me think. When did they? Uh, about four centuries. So the 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 idea first appears in Robert de Boron, who is a French poet of the of the late eleven hundreds that Joseph receives the grail from an apparition of Jesus and sends it with his followers to Britain. And the idea of Joseph traveling to Britain uh, and taking Jesus with him, uh, it's a real late tradition. So it, I would tend to think mm, it's a wonderful story and a made-for-TV movie, but I don't think it happened. So that's just my opinion. I may be wrong. Does that help at all? Uh, yeah, yes, I just remember, remembered also that it mentioned something about him being Jesus's uncle. Is there anything to that? No, that's that's all from the 1100s. There, there's there's as far as I know uh, um, that that um, there's no mention of his being Jesus's uncle. I don't even know if it's in the 1100s. That's I'm hearing it from you for the first time. Um, but there were lots of lots. There's something called the Gospel of Nicodemus, which is kind of interesting, which is a very late thing. It talks about details about uh, Joseph. I forget when the Gospel of Nicodemus was written, but it it's, it's um, it talks about uh, his burying Jesus in his tomb, that sort of thing. So it, it's quite late. Um, so I, I don't know what to tell you other than that, but it's these are all legends, and there's no there's no archaeological or biblical evidence that it's true. So, but it could have happened. Uh, I don't know. I wasn't there. Okay. It's, well, th- thank you. I appreciate the insight. Well, yeah, and you know it may have happened, and it's a neat story. Eh. So. <laughs> Read the stuff and all those Arthurian legends. They're fun. All right. Let us go to Martha, who's calling in from Georgia in the United States, not the one in the middle of the Caucasus. Martha, are you with us? Yes, I am, Father. I'm calling to ask you what to do after I just left Mass and I saw right before uh, I went to receive communion, the sacred host was dropped on the floor mm-hmm. and the priest just yeah. picked it up like you would pick up a dirty Kleenex. And I was in, I was just, what do I do? Do I call? Do I say anything? I tried no, to walk you make around a holy, you, everybody no, else stepped on it. You make a holy hour of reparation. You know, uh, Eucharistic piety, uh, that's why they want to have a Eucharistic, uh, what are they calling it, a Eucharistic uh, revival or something. Uh, Eucharistic piety is in bad shape these days. Um, and, and you know, this. how old was this priest? Percentage of people Ballpark. that don't believe in the Holy Eucharist. Yeah, let's get back to the, the priest. How old is the priest? Do you have any idea? Ballpark? Probably 50s. Yeah, yeah, he 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 was not raised in the world in which you and I were raised. And you know, he doesn't know um 
the proper procedure. The proper procedure is to lay a cloth if the Blessed Sacrament, either from the chalice or from the ciborium, is dropped. That the, the the proper procedure is to place a purificator over it, and then after mass or at the nearest possibility, even during communion, a priest or a deacon should bring water and purify the spot as well as possible. That's that's what what should happen, and you know that we have. I think we have more power on our knees than we have in our in our protests. So I would make a holy hour of reparation uh, uh, for that and pray for that priest that he comes to know what a treasure God has given him. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's not a small thing, but on the other hand, I, I, I think that uh, uh, so many priests, especially younger than I uh, were discouraged from a traditional Eucharistic piety, but it's coming back big time. So, well, thanks for calling. Let's go to Mike from Phoenix. Mike, are you with us? I am, Father. How are you, sir? Pretty good. What can I do uh, for you? My question is, why is the Bible so hard to understand, like it's written in riddles, if it's for for us to, you know, for our eternal life? Well... To get into heaven. You know, that that the Bible... It's a record of the dealing of 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 God with humanity over the course of two thousand years, and the reason it's complicated is because human beings are complicated. That it isn't so much a riddle as it is uh, a history of human folly. Seriously, that that you know, well, the Bible's sacred; it's all full of holy stuff and. You know, you look at you look at uh, the story of Abraham, and Abraham had all these wives, and that means we should have all these. No, the Bible is recording the stupid things done by stupid people who God loved greatly, and the Bible is complicated because human beings are complicated. Um, that that it isn't it isn't God that's the riddle; it's humanity that's the riddle. That we do stupid things when we know better, and if you if you read the Bible, uh, understanding it's a very human book. It's absolutely inspired, and it is absolutely human. It is it is about the the love of God for people like you and me who we can, when left to our own devices, as I say, you can go straight for the small potatoes. So the Bible is not. Of course, it has to be written in a language, and it has to be written in a context because that's all we've got, and. God is trying to do the very best with what he's got. That's why art is so important, because for people who can't read and understand the Bible, God has given us art. Churches should be beautiful. Stained glass windows tell the story of salvation. And that simplicity is is such a gift from God. Speaking of gifts from God, Drew is coming up. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> 